Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Uh, so this is a live recording of Catholic Stuff podcast that we have done. We're coming up on five years, uh, believe it or not. Tonight what we want to talk about is uh, the topic title is called Being Consumed. And uh, it's directly stolen from a book called Being Consumed, right? So we're going to read the first, I don't know, 50 pages of this book to you. No, um, this is a book uh, on consumerism and Christian culture that we found to be very, a very interesting thing. We're hoping that at some point you will find it interesting also, but there's no guarantee. Um, what we're going to talk about tonight is consumerism, how it controls us, how it affects us, and uh, how we need to kind of kind of address it and respond to it, all right? Uh, so tonight, we, we, we begin with the conversation of what is consumerism, right? Consumerism. One of these isms, right? If, for those of you who, uh, um, who study low philosophy, you know an ism is an ideological system, right? But a consumer is whatever human being is, right? All of us are consumers in the sense that to be a human means to consume things. And so one of the questions I had for Father Nathan was, what is your earliest memory of being a consumer, right? And I, mine is immediate and instinctive, right? I remember being five years old, and I was in Toys R Us with my brother Steve, who was four at the time, and my dad, and we had been waiting weeks, I mean weeks and weeks, begging him for bike horns, right? We wanted these like little bike horns for, this is in the days of like, you know, big wheels and, and uh, what were those things, power? Pow, pow, power wheels, pow, power wheels, power wheels. Now you're driving for real. Hit the road. Power wheels. I don't think it was. A, I never got a power wheel, but spoiled kids from Illinois had those, like, like Father Nathan. But we had a bike and we had bike horns, and we were walking through uh, Toys R Us with our bike horns. And every five seconds, my brother would just go, eh, 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 eh. and my father finally says, "Steve, you need to stop doing the bike horn thing." Oh, those looks good. We'll take the uh, fries over here. The um, and they're gone. Consumer. We have that effect on women. <laughs> That's why we're priests. So he's honking the horn every five seconds, and my dad says, Steve, you need to stop honking that bike horn. And he just keeps, and we're like walking through the store. And he goes, if you honk that horn one more time, you're going to lose the bike horn. And he waits about five seconds and goes, and my dad grabs the horn, and then he turns to me, and he grabs mine. And I was like, what? Why did I just lose my bike horn? And it was the first experience of like, my life is now miserable because I don't have a bike horn, and it's your fault, right? And it was an experience of, I think probably at the time, I wouldn't have said it like this, but coercion into my freedom as a consumer to buy the bike horn, even though I wasn't actually buying it, from the will of my brother, right? And from that point forward, we can say to ourselves, there's this disordered desire in myself, in my brother, even to honk the horn before we even own it or possess it. So that's mine. Yours is going to be interesting, I'm sure. Well, just a story about power wheels. Do, do people actually remember what power wheels were? So, like... Was Power Wheels the three-wheel thing? No. Or was that like the machine, like it, was, it looked like a Bigfoot or like Barbie Jeep? Was that it? She knows Barbie Jeep. Yeah, I don't know. Well, whatever that is, like there was this girl across the street, Chelsea Robinson, and Chelsea had one of those things, and then she would like tool around in her uh, driveway in it, and I was like, that's sweet. Uh, do you mind if I get in it? And she's like, sure. Well, what she didn't tell me was um, those big wheels or power wheels have a weight limit. So like, whereas she could kind of zoom around and it looked awesome, like all of a sudden this like overgrown male, like, well, little boy, husky little boy, gets in, gets in the thing and it's just like, 
you know, like barely going. And then I drained her battery and that was embarrassing. Um, so I guess that's one. Two would be, um, I had a best friend growing up, Charlie Wheeler, and um, we decided to pool our money together because we never had enough money to buy the sweet candy. You could only get like the crab candy that was on the, like, the bottom shelves, which is like, you could get like five cent bazooka gum or uh, maybe like a Tootsie Roll or something. But we decided to go in together and we pooled all the change that we could find from around our house and we split uh, one of those bubble tapes. Um, and we got, the, we got the watermelon bubble tape, broke it in half in the, in the Huck's parking lot and we both started chewing it as we were going home. Now, anybody out there that has small children knows that every single thing that is small has this thing that says choking hazard. Well, apparently when you put like a, I don't know, like a small golf ball size bolus in your mouth and you're trying to like ride your bike and jump wheelies and everything, I'm pretty sure that at one point I tried to blow a bubble, sucked it down my windpipe, like landed my wheelie and then coughed it out. So. So I was trying to consume in that way, too. You've been awesome since a young age. So we grow up with this desire for things, right? For, we want to be consumers. We want to have things. We want the bubble gum. We want the bike horn, whatever it might be. And as we get older, it becomes, uh, it moves from just the experience, individual uh, experience of being a consumer to actually developing and establishing a philosophy, a lifestyle around the things that we own. So that's what we're talking about tonight. Why, why at a Theology on Tap are we talking about consumerism? Because consumerism is a kind of spirituality. That's kind of our, our launching point for the evening. Now, I'm already watching their heads are starting to go down. Like, oh, give the mic back to Father Nathan, you know, tell us some Yay. more funny stories. But we gotta talk about philosophy here for a second. So consumerism is a kind of spirituality. But what's interesting is that when you first think about what is consumerism, we think, well, consumerism is bad because consumerists are people who have a lot of things, right? They're like really greedy people who have a lot of things and are really obsessed about, I don't know, having Patagonia jackets or like a uh, mammoth jacket, the one I'm wearing. I mean, these, you know, whatever Father Nathan flannel underwear from the 70s, you know, with the butt flap, you know, the red full body. What do you call those things? I have one of those. Yeah, I know you do. I, I've seen you in it with the butt flap down. I know. Whatever it is, you start to uh, identify yourself with these things, and uh, that's where we get into trouble. But tonight we want to define, one of the first things we want to do is we want to define what consumerism is in terms of philosophy. What are, what are we talking about here philosophically? And consumerism is not greed, okay? Greed is, according to St. Thomas Aquinas, the inordinate attachment to material things, right? You just have to have that thing, that bike horn, right? Whatever it might be, this will make me happy. That's a sign of greed. Consumerism is not greed. Consumerism is the exact opposite, actually. Consumerism is radical detachment from everything, right? For a consumerist, nothing has any meaning, right? No object has any meaning whatsoever versus the person who's consumed with greed, which is they're obsessively or possessively going after objects and things. Does that make sense? So we kind of have to shift our head a little bit when we start to talk about what is consumerism. And when we say we live in a consumerist society, what we're talking about is a bunch of people who are in radically detached from everything, everything that there possibly is. And so before I hand the mic back over to Father Nathan, I want to read you a quote. This is from uh, Pope Francis at, right at the beginning of um, Evangelium Gaudium, which many of you read. This is how he starts it off. He said, the great danger in today's world, 
pervaded as it is by consumerism, is a desolation and anguish born of a complacent and covetous heart, the feverish pursuit of frivolous pleasures and a blunted conscience. So what he's talking about is the greatest evil that afflicts modern man is connected to consumerism, right? He talks about it as a desolation, as a complacency. It's a restlessness, right? The person who is a consumerist, and again, we're talking about all of us here, right? But hypothetically, a consumerist is a person who is so detached from everything that they're actually radically restless and they're never satisfied with anything. So we've got to kind of shift our mentality and our kind of heads on the language of consumerism as we start. Yeah, I mean, part of what he's pointing at is illuminate. I think it's in Psalm 50. Um, it says, in his riches, man lacks wisdom. He is like the beasts that are destroyed. So when we set our hearts on things that are small, um, we will have small hearts. And once we get them, it doesn't really satisfy. I mean, like even the sweet Nintendo game that you were like longing to get, whatever, Technobike or um, Paperboy was that for us. I mean, like there's some sense in which I have to have this. This is going to be the fulfillment of my existence. Once I get this, everything is going to be better and my world will be radically different. And then you get it and then there's automatically a dissatisfaction that you, you're not even interested in that thing, and then it just becomes one more thing that gets put in the back of a, of a drawer until, you know, what, the N60, or the Super Nintendo comes out, and then the N64, and then, what, PS3, or what are we on? iPhone 6. Um, literally, like, while everybody else had Nintendo 64s, we were playing my dad's Atari. Um, <laughs> Which was pretty sweet. I mean, like, there was this game called, um, uh, like, Jungle Runner or something. Like, you, like, swung on vines. It was really hard, especially when you only have one button. Um, but, like, when that is the fulfillment of your existence, then once you get it, I mean, like, I don't know if anybody played Skyrim or whatever. Um, yeah, any Skyrim players? Those guys are single. Yep. That's how you point them out. Skyrim was supposed to be like this totally bizarre, like amazing advancement in video gaming and you could play forever. And then all of a sudden it came out and then guys are like, yeah, that was cool. What's next? So they're not even attached to the thing. They're already moving on. So they, they're, they've already received that item and they, they're, they're dissatisfied. Did you see the... Uh Teleprompter? World Series of Poker is on here. Yeah. Oh, well, I was trying to come up with an analogy for like how Father John and I work. And if anybody watches uh, World Series of Poker, there's always these two guys that are on there. Um, there's the guy that knows everything about cards and can give you the splits and the odds and like why this guy is definitely going to win the hand and why that was a stupid bluff. And um, I don't even know that it's guys Lon or Lar or something like that. And then there's this other guy who kind of is creepy looking and his name's Norman Chad. And he just makes jokes the entire time. Um, and I don't think he knows anything about cards, but he's always like ragging on people. And I'm like, dude, I'm Norman Chad and you're that guy. So well said, Norman. Well said. The, um, yeah, so as we're, as we're talking about these things, you, you're starting to see and we're starting to realize that our culture, right, is created in order to make sure that we do not connect ourselves 
to any object, but that we become completely obsessed with the object itself, right? Um, Father Nathan and I, there's another book we read called The Embers and the Stars, which is written by this phenomenologist, a philosopher. Same recommendation, Dr. Terry Wright, same guy. Everything is stolen, right? We didn't come up with any of this stuff. But they make a distinction in that book between possessions and belongings, right? Possessions and belongings. And this is what's interesting is he says, you know, uh, my iPhone charger, right, which is indispensable to my happiness, obviously is not a belonging. I'm not like, oh, that just means so much to me, right? But somebody gave me a photo of John Paul II uh, when we were in the mountains, and it looked very similar to kind of a scene that we had. And John Paul II is, is uh, kind of my hero. And so that photo is on my desk, and that is to me not just a possession, but it's a belonging. It is actually something that speaks about who I am and about who I'm trying to be. Does that make sense? My cell phone charger doesn't do that, right? It just recharges it so I can check Instagram for the 75th time in the last four hours or something like that, right? Which I've actually done today. So you can see how there's a distinction. What happens in a consumer society is there's no such thing as belonging anymore, right? We don't ever have anything that actually has any significance. Like Christmas is coming up. I have a nephew and a niece. They're both like pre-rational, so Christmas gifts are like kind of weird. It's like, you know, and my sister's a teacher, so she wants everything to be like educational. So it's like, make sure that they put the colored blocks together and then, you know, they're all numbered. And Steve and I, are, my brother and I are, can't even figure this out on our own, but these kids are going to grow up and then they're going to get so excited about Christmas and then they're going to open all their gifts on Christmas day and everything's going to be amazing. And they're going to be like, all right, these gifts are lame, and a week later, they're not going to be playing with it. And that's what happens in consumerist culture. Nothing has meaning anymore. Nothing has significance, right? And it's a real plague. And again, when we say that consumers, every human being is a consumer, it is an effect of original sin, right? Uh, the first consumption in this disordered way happens with the creation of clothing, ladies, right? There's a statistic in this book that says that 20% of women are addicted to shopping in our culture. Whoa! 20% of you ladies, supposedly, more, that's more than people are addicted to alcohol and drugs combined, are addicted to shopping in our culture. That's a crazy statistic. But clothing was the original creation. You remember that? Remember that in the beginning, Genesis chapter 3. Here's the thing that changed, though. In the last 300 years, there's something called the Industrial Revolution that happened. And what the Industrial Revolution did, and I'm going to sound like a communist here in a second, but I promise I'm not, even though Dr. Terry Wright, eh, you socialist. know, a little bit, socialist. But what happened is the Industrial Revolution happened, and all of a sudden, homes no longer were the places of production, right? Prior to the Industrial Revolution, the home was the place where you made your beer, you made your bread, right? You, made, you, you had a garden, you, you made your vegetables, right? However that worked, I don't know how to garden, right? You did everything. It was a place where you produced. You made your own music. And then all of a sudden, something happens. We create these machines, and we get people to run the machines. And all of a sudden, we can recreate things at an unbelievable pace, but we separate ourselves from the production itself. So all of a sudden, we're living in a culture that for the last 300 years, people are isolated from the creation of things and that's what began this kind of crazy modern consumerism, okay? We're going to pause for a really funny story. Go ahead. What? I'm just joking. they got to stagger it a little bit, you know? The, um, well, part of what that John was pointing at that I want to make sure that, that is understood is in the garden, what, what does the devil try to, like, tempt them with? In part, it is dissatisfaction and saying, 
your current life is not good enough. Like, this is all you're going to get? Isn't, didn't God promise you more than this? Like, and that's like, he's the first advertising agent or something, you know? Like, he's running the first infomercial. Don't wait, call now, grab it, do it, and this will make you happy. And then all of a sudden, Adam and Eve are like, why in the hell do I have this sham wow? Like, I never even freaking wanted this thing. So, so that's, part, that's part of what the consumer mentality is, is built upon, is this dissatisfaction. That we can never find peace in the objects that we have. So, like, this is the story. So, at one point in time, I realized, since I'm, I'm from Illinois, and I moved out to Colorado, that apparently when you move to Colorado, once you enter Colorado, you need to have a hip jacket, okay? And I was like, all right, I'll go out and find a hip jacket. The reason why is because in Illinois, most people, um, how do I say this? We are bigger people, um, and uh, so, like, hoodies are majorly in style. Um, <laughs> You put me in Patagonia and it looks like uh, maternity wear. So I was like, no, not gonna do that. So at first I had this one jacket, thought it was really sweet, Eddie Bauer, I thought I'd found it. Not waterproof, right? But that's pretty important. So then all of a sudden it's like that jacket that I got that I thought was gonna satisfy my need is no longer worth it. And so then I go out and I find a waterproof jacket. But then I realized that uh, apparently when you buy it from Walmart and you can stuff it into a bag, it uh, doesn't look so cool at Red Rocks. So I'm like, all right, it's got to have a specific logo on it. So then I had to go out and find one that had a particular logo that other people would say, oh, that's a worthy jacket. You're cool. Okay, waterproof logo. Third, I had this jacket. I thought I'd, I thought I'd done it. Everybody has a cell phone pocket, and it's actually really ingenious. You need pockets for your hands because sometimes we're embarrassed and we don't want to like look like we're you know just have nothing to say, waving our arms. So we have to have have to have pockets to put our hands. Hence the hoodie. Um, and then um, so then I had to find one that had the little zipper pocket that I could stick it into. But then I realized that some people have three-level jackets because you don't just need a jacket. Sometimes you need a jacket that goes zips into another jacket so that that one can be your waterproof jacket so that when you take off your jacket, you're not just going to take off all of your jackets. So you're still going to have one jacket on. You know what I'm saying? There's this continued dissatisfaction, and it will never be enough. Some people even have to buy other jackets because when they stand around campfires, the uh, particles from the fire will burn their Patagonia, right, and then they'll be... Okay. So that was wonderful. What a great digression. Um, I knew I was going to come back to that. Yes, so the... Uh, yeah, so REI really is like the ultimate enemy of my soul. It feels like the best place in the universe. You know, and you're from... You're from uh, you know, the middle of Illinois, and you wear your Carhartt, and you just think you're better than everybody else. But let's be honest, I'm judging him also at Red Rocks, right? Right? Because, uh, and it's not big, it's husky. Remember, that's what your mom that's said. Right. Husky, that's husky. Right. So, but the husky clothing, whatever it might be, you know, the flannel. This is the hipster thing. This is why hipsters are like, we're so above what is happening, right? Like, we, we don't even care about style, we're just, a, we're just better than that. And what happens with hipsters? They're ridiculous, they all look the same, right? They all have the PBR in hand, and like the same glasses, no offense Christine, yours are awesome, right? <laughs> She's very artsy though, you know? 
but they all look the same, and hipster becomes now like a running joke. You can see how it happens, right? When you think you're above this, you actually are the most ridiculous, right? This is in all of us. One of the things that was interesting that Father Nathan brought up that this book mentions is there's a difference between production and branding, right? Branding. Patagonia is not just selling me a base layer you know, soft shell or whatever it is that's essential to my well-being, which is obvious, right? They're also telling me this is who you are and this is what you're going to look like and then you can look down on that other guy at Red Rocks, right? And say, Psh, who wears Eddie Bauer? Are you freaking kidding me, right? And Eddie Bauer is actually launching a campaign. They have guys who are climbing Everest right now and they're brand, because they're trying to rebrand it to say, hey, we're the real deal, right? And it's happening all the time. Branding tries to sell you who you are. The product is just simply a thing. So it's weird that in a consumerist culture where we're completely detached from everything from the production to the product itself, that we're actually taking these kind of spiritual brands and saying, that's who I am. That's who I am, right? And it's a very, very strange thing. All of this is rooted in a false understanding of what human freedom is, right? Because we can ask ourselves, right? We could break into small group discussion and say, how did this happen? How did consumerism happen? And a lot of people would say, consumerism happens because free market economy. Consumerism exists because capitalism exists, right? But it's not that simple. It's not that simple. And what we need to talk about tonight a little bit is what is human freedom? Because when we talk about a free market, right, we have all of this stuff at our disposal right now. It's kind of crazy. Like we have all these things, right? One click on Amazon and you can get anything, right? I just ordered something from my sister. Um, I don't think she's here. Where is she here? Katie, are you here? Okay, good. This is what I got her for Christmas for Jackson. These amber necklace things that babies wear. Have you seen these oh, things? No. No, it's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're the real deal, man. Tried and tested by mothers with two-year-olds. You don't know what you're talking about. Don't hate on this, right? But I got this one click on Amazon, and it comes from across the country. This thing might be a total hoax, but at least my sister sees, well, he's trying. He knows nothing about child rearing, but he's trying, right? And these are the things they wear them because they bring the inflammation down, supposedly in the teething. We'll see. The point is one click, one click, and I can get that thing shipped from across the country. It's unbelievable. But then again, do I want to be asking myself, do I really want to be buying things through Amazon, right? And this is where we're going to get to at the end of the talk, hopefully. How are we buying things? And is it really good to do it as fast as possible, as most convenient as possible? Because we are reiterating and reinforcing this kind of consumerist mentality. Yeah, the, and that's part of it is like what's at the bottom line of our, of our consumer culture. I mean, part of it is the brand. Um, it doesn't matter what the price is, just as long as it makes me look a certain way. Um, the utility of the garment is really, or whatever, like the phone or the car or whatever else, it has some sort of appeal to it. But then what are we most interested in? The brand, but also what's the bottom line? The, the cost. Because we're, we're trying to make sure like I'm protected and that I'm saving my money. But then what happens when we don't see ourselves, am I going too fast for this? Okay. The, um, that what happens if, we, if we're not interested in, like, how is the other guy doing? Like, the person that he bought the amber stones from, uh, which I think are like, you know, like the Scientology something. I don't know. I see all these babies walking around with, like, stones or something. I'm like, you're new age. What's going on? 
I think it's a rosary, and I want to compliment him, but then it's just teething stones. Um, but like, does he does do does he care about the person who makes that product? Do I care about um, whoever, like Eddie Bauer or the Ark Thrift Store, that is going to sell me this like dingy old flannel that I think is going to look awesome? Not really. I'm just interested in saving money. But I'm, I'm making all of my transactions, my financial transactions, not, they're not personal transactions. Like when I go to Walmart to buy my, you know, like six foot bubble tape, I don't look the person in the, in the face and say, thank you so much for selling me that. God bless you, you know? I usually try to just grumble at them because I don't want them to ask me a bunch of questions like, do you want to donate money and would you like to round up and would you like to be put on our email list? I'm just like, maybe if I grumble, they'll think I speak Russian or something. And So like, I'm just interested in the bottom line. I'm not interested in making my, my money a personal transaction. And that's actually closer to what to what the Catholic understanding in terms of social teaching would be that we have a responsibility for persons, not just about saving money, but like we want to be in communion with one another. So then start to see yourself in relation as um, like if you if you owned a if you own a bread shop and then you sold bread and then you were interested in buying shoes. So then you go on Amazon just to save money. But then the shoemaker down the street feels like, dude, you screwed me. And then he, and he goes online, he's like, I'm going to get my bread from, I don't know, like wonder.com. And so then all of a sudden, everybody's saving money and everybody's screwed. And the only people that make money are these large conglomerate corporations. And that's where I end up starting to sound like, a, I don't know, anti-big business or something like that. Um, but it's important for us to see like when we wait, when and how and with whom we spend our money, we're actually making a statement about um, I want to support you. I want to be in your life. I want to uh, m ensure your well-being because it's reciprocal. I mean, granted, if you're, I don't know, selling widgets and nobody's going to buy your widget, you feel like, well, then I'm just going to buy my bread and my shoes and my meat from these large corporations. But as, as small businesses continue, there actually becomes this interrelational reality, which is much closer to the communion that we're called to in Christ. And so what we're proposing tonight is that the way out of this kind of consumerist trap is not go buy less things. That's not necessarily the answer. Just quit buying stuff. Well, you got to get your sister a Christmas gift and she's got a one-year-old and so, you know, use this kind of Scientology necklace thing, rosary thing, you know, whatever. You got to have gifts, right? You got to have, you have to be a consumer. The question is, how do you get out of consumerism? We, by, by re-putting the person above the object, above the product, repersonalizing the buying process. This is the criteria, and this is the question we want to leave you with tonight, right? We're not done yet. This sounds like we're finishing. We're actually not. We just jumped to the end of our talk for some reason. Father Nathan, thank I you. I asked yeah. if I was going too quick. Oh, that's great. We'll just finish it up here. Whatever. Yeah. They're tired. I know, I know. So, but this is, this is the key question. If you leave with anything tonight, this is it right here. In every transaction, every single transaction, what you need to be asking yourself is... Is this transaction leading to the flourishing of the human person and to the possibility of deeper communion? That's the question right there. Is this leading to the flourishing of the human person and to the, and to the possibility of deeper communion? Okay? There are people in China, according to this book, working for 12 cents an hour. 
12 cents an hour. And what are they creating? They're creating the crap that we're buying and are completely disattached with, right? Because all of the means of production moved overseas in the last 100 years. Why? Because they can do it for unbelievably horrible prices and for very, very cheap things. And again, I know we sound like communists, but communism is not all bad, right? They're responding to some horrible, harsh things that were happening in unbridled capitalism, right? And that's not the question tonight. We're not talking about that. What we're trying to do is trying to say, how do we get back to personalizing our relationships when we make transactions, okay? I'll give you, an, I'll give you a couple examples here. First off, I'm drinking a Smithix tonight, which is an amazing beer, right? I don't know the name of the person who served this to me. I don't know the name of the person who tapped that keg tonight. I don't know the guy who transported it here. I don't know who brewed this stuff. I don't know anybody. It's just a product that I'm gonna enjoy and then I'm gonna move on with my life, right? Versus several years ago, and when we were in seminary, I created this fake beer called Go Bale, named after Father Nathan Goebel, right? And Go Bale was brewed by our good friend and, uh, who, who home brews, and I said the two conditions of Go Bale have to be after the condition of the man himself. I said it needs to be full of body and stronger than you'd like, right? And so Garrett Dean, our good friend, created this beer called Go Bale, and he surprised me at my ordination with this amazing beer. Now, again, can we drink Go Bale all the time? No. Garrett put in a lot of hours to make that happen. But that was a very, very different thing because Garrett is my friend, and Garrett made that beer. And that meant something, and, it, and the significance of our friendship and our relationship, that whole thing, it was a repersonalized experience, a repersonalized relationship versus this Hey, I'm enjoying it, I'm consuming it, but this is not keeping me away from being a consumerist. Does that make sense? That's one example. Do you have an example? Good, I'll give you another example. Here we go. There's this, you're going to judge me, but there's a website that's amazing and it's called Etsy, okay? Ladies are loving this, right? This is not Pinterest, we're not talking about Pinterest. Uh, my mom always posts Etsy on Pinterest. You're not getting the mic back, yeah. Why is Etsy amazing? Because it directly puts you back with people who are making things, right? Yeah. I wanted to create a book, right? We're part of this uh, community of diocesan priests, and we wrote a rule of life. And I didn't want to just print out, you know, a piece of paper and hand it to the guys. I said, I want to have a book made. And the Pinnocks, their daughter, went on Etsy and found this guy with this amazing beard, right? And the beard's going to come into the story in a second here. Uh, in Oregon, in this tiny town in Oregon, and he makes books, right? And they were wood and leather, and the pages are beautiful. And he printed these books with the rule in it, and I was able to give the guys. Were they expensive? Yeah. But they were less expensive because their daughter is insanely charming, and she typed into it, I just love your beard, and he dropped off 200 bucks off the order. Hard. It's a great beard, right? Beard. Bigger than ours. I actually do have a beard, you can't see that, but we got the, we got the caps here, man, blowing us out of the water. These guys know how to do beards. The, um, so what is it doing? Well, Etsy is an example of getting us back in connection with production, and that's the key. That's the key right there. And this isn't just in Etsy, and this isn't abroad. This is happening in very, very interesting movements that are not necessarily Catholic. Christy Dunnigan right here, right? She hangs out in a place called Rhino, many of you know, but there's this store called The Source, 
And the source is just kind of like the small cheese shop. It's got a brewery. It's got a little restaurant. But it's got all these different things. And what it's like, it's like being back in a small town where everybody had their small shop versus Walmart where everything's cheaper and everything is destroyed. You don't have relationships with the guy, the cheesemaker, you know, the, the, the guy who has the, the bakery, whatever it might be. And the source is actually a place that's existing to try and go back and to try and cultivate that. So it's actually happening uh, in some very interesting ways in our culture. And we have to continue to reverse that by getting in touch with production again. Yeah, so um, my dad is a wholesale meat distributor. So um, uh, that just means that he goes to small town shops um, and like takes orders, whatever else. So anytime we would mention Walmart at our house, it was usually precipitated by a curse word because they were the ones that were killing all these small town shops. And um, the, uh, he invited me one day, I was like seven years old. He's like, hey, do you wanna go to the meat packing plant? And I'm like, sure, I have no idea what that is um, because I just know the meat that you sell and you know, like Kroger or something like that, uh, the King Supers. And so we go, we go to, the, to the Excel pig processing plant and he's like, I gotta go take an order, why don't you wait in the truck? And I'm like, okay. So I just see truck after truck of like pigs going in. And like as a kid, I would always just be like, whoa, there's, there's, there's animals in that car, you know? And I, I was still like excited. I was like, they're all going in. And then like, it took like probably like 10, 15 minutes. I realized I'm really slow, but I was like, wait a second. I, I saw that truck and it was full and now it's not. What's going on? And then all of a sudden I was just like, oh my God, they're killing him in there. Um, but that didn't make me stop eating bacon, you know? Because I was totally divorced from the means of production. I was totally divorced from the producers. Very different from my grandpa. He, um, I, I say he's a, a cattle rancher. Um, he has two cows. Um, but when you, have, when you have two cows, you still have to do everything else that anybody who has cows does, which is your life revolves around these creatures in some way. Anybody who has dogs or betta fish or something like that, just put it in your own words. Um, but my aunt named the two cows uh, from uh, like this year's slaughter. I think it was last year's slaughter. And um, she specifically asked that they did not, because they'll put the number on the package, the meat package, she specifically asked that they remove the number because she didn't want to know which cow she was eating um, because she was attached to the actual product. She understood that like these, these things like are her animals or something like that. Well, they're not dogs. We kind of raised them to eat, but it was another way in which um, as a kid, um, I was getting back to the product itself. Whereas normally when I think about meat, it's like King Supers, styrofoam trays, I want that one. It, 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 I don't know where it come from, where it came from, I don't know how it got here. I don't really care what it ate, I just hope that when I cook it, it's flavorful and tender and I don't burn it. Um, so again, these are ways in which we can get back into the means of production. Um, a lot of people don't know it, but the Sisters of Walburga, who are the Benedictine sisters, um, they raise cattle. Um, so you can actually ask and purchase a whole side of beef. 
which, which makes you part of their community because you are supporting them and they're actually giving you something, but you know where it comes from and you care about the sustainability of their life and not just, how do I get the lowest price on ground round? And it's also, the, when, you, when you actually, sorry, I'm getting on this whole meat kick, definitely son of the wholesale meat distributor, but like when you purchase a side of beef, that means that you have to eat multiple cuts and you have to learn how to make multiple it's not just like what do i want for dinner for the next like six months i just want chicken boobs like there's no such thing as just a chicken breast like and that's being raised and then eventually like you know harvested there are chickens and so like as you as you continue like to get back to the means of production and the producers you understand that like okay if i get a side of beef i get multiple things which means that I have to make multiple things. Whereas now, like most people don't know how to cook because we, we, we're attached to those certain things that we like. Chicken breast, bacon. That's pretty much my life. Like that's all I know how to cook. That and French toast. And it's really good French toast. Uh, Father Nathan and I this afternoon, um, we never really prepare these talks. We really attempted to prepare it, but we really did not tonight. We were sitting at Stella's, oh sorry. We were sitting at Kel uh, Stella's Coffee House uh, on South Pearl, an amazing place. And uh, we were kind of doing some a uh, little bit on this, talking about it. We ended up talking to the owner, a guy named Stan. Now, I've been going to this coffee shop for 15 years. Uh, Stan, whenever he sees us in the collar, he just said, are you guys going to put a little prayer over this place or something like that? And we do. We put a little prayer over this place or whatever. And, uh, but he always makes a point to talk to us. He doesn't know my name, right? I know he's Stan, he's the guy who owns Stella's, but he said something interesting tonight. He said, I said, I've been coming here for 15 years and it hasn't changed and I love it. Don't ever let it change. And he said, if you've been coming here that long, you know this place is an absolute miracle. He said, the fact that this exists and that it, well, we made it is a miracle. Thank you, John O'Brien, right? Connection to the means of production, right there. Thank you, Johnny. But the, uh, he's drinking, Coke, and I'm drinking my third here. This is classic, so. You think he's the bad one, but he's really not. He's the most pharisaic rule follower I've ever met, right? He just pushes all the boundaries, says things like chicken boobs, like where? They all, did you see everybody get uncomfortable when you said that? It was just like, what? That guy did. That guy Which guy did? Jason? Yeah, they were uncomfortable. Bryson was uncomfortable over there. The, um, but why are we at Stella's? Why are we at Stella's? Because there's a connection back to a place, and it feels like people made this place. I live in Aurora, Colorado. We don't have any good coffee shops. It's a great place, but we don't have any good coffee shops. All we have are Starbucks, right? Starbucks doesn't feel like people made it. It feels like aliens have made it and mass-produced it, right? My parents lived in London, and while they were there, they were opening 200 Starbucks every week in England. That's crazy. Every single week, for there was about a two-year period of that. It's just completely psycho what was happening. I don't want to go to Starbucks, right? I will if I'm like completely sleep deprived and starving of coffee and it's good coffee, but I'd rather make the drive 20 minutes and go to a coffee shop that has a little flavor where I'm gonna run into the same hippie owner who isn't gonna know who I am, but he's gonna make a comment about the collar and they know my drink order. Cause that is the greatest thing ever, right? I walk in and they say, medium latte for here. And I'm just like, you're gonna get a huge tip, right? Because I mean something, right? And I'm with the people who are actually making these drinks and it's not some huge corporation. So one of the things we're proposing tonight, again, getting back in touch with the means of production, but the best way to do that is to get out of the big business thing, right? Don't go to chains. 
except Chipotle, because Chipotle's amazing. Like, let's just be honest. There's absolutely no way I can surrender that one. I, I just can't. And Qdoba sucks, and if any of you like Qdoba, just walk away, just, just, drop, just drop the mic, that's it. It doesn't suck, it's fine. But that's, that's a whole nother topic, that's a whole nother podcast. Sorry. So other than Chipotle, don't go to chains, right? Because what are we doing, right? We're just kicking our money into a little cheaper, a little more quickly produced thing, but we are becoming consumers. Do something that's unique. Go to the shop where there's nothing, right? Go to the unique coffee shops, go to the unique restaurants, support these different initiatives, right? Try and be distributist, right? Distributism is a, is, a, is a kind of economic system that tried to find a middle ground between communism and capitalism by applying Catholic social principles to these things. And we're all about that. We try to be distributists in our culture, right? I'm wearing Mahmoud, but these clerics were distributists, right? We had to buy them in Rome, right? You can't buy clerics, there's no other, other way to do it. Yeah. So, but um, to try and do that, to tr try and support local initiatives, local breweries, local coffee shops, this is one way to get back in touch, back in relationships, back in supporting people. All right, I'm gonna pass the mic back over here, but we're gonna wrap this thing up here pretty soon. I just totally forgot my point, and I was like, he's gonna pass me back the mic. Son of a biscuit, this is gonna happen. I seriously can't remember it. You gonna pass it back? All right. We're gonna do. We'll do Q&A here in a second, but I want to wrap with this kind of, this final close here. When we talk about consumerism and being free from consumerism, which is a slavery of detachment, you got it now? Nope. It's gone, okay. We joke that his brain, in his brain, there are a thousand monkeys with typewriters, okay? And they're all just typing and it's going, ah, rah, rah, typing, typing, and every once in a while, one of the monkeys puts a word together and they send it to print, but obviously that one monkey, it never got through, so. The, uh, so this, this spirituality that is embodied in our uh, consumer spirituality that is embodied into our lives is radically playing out in the way that we approach our Catholic faith, right? If I was to have you raise your hands, how many of you are registered parishioners? There would not be a lot. We're not going to do that. Okay, we got one right here, right? Yeah. Yeah. But... You don't want to register, right? And a lot of people don't want to be Catholic. Why? Because it's like signing up for the institution, right? And this consumerist thing, it's like, I want to be Christian, but I want to be totally detached from everything. It's the same freaking detachment, except it takes its form in a spiritual life. I've been reading Dostoevsky lately, and one of his condemnations is this desperate desire to be original, right? Let's be original, right? And, and it just takes weird things. And this happens within the church, outside of the church. So all of us, regardless if we're Catholic or not, we got to get back to the reality that Christ is the original man and that from the Eucharist, and this is the key, the Eucharist is where God is consumed and where we learn to be true consumers, right? Our consumption of the Eucharist actually allows our life to be consumed in God itself. Only in the experience of the Trinity, allowing itself to be consumed in the Eucharist will elevate this, right? It's nice to have social projects. It's nice to support new initiatives. But the key is God allows himself to be consumed. And that is the model 
and that is the teaching for how to become authentic consumers, which means authentic human beings, okay? That has to be played out in community as well. Only within community can this happen. You can't do it on your own, right? You can't fight this evil of consumerism and do it on your own. So you gotta ask yourself, am I a part of a community that is desperately trying to be original, that is radically detached from the things within the church that we see, or we're just different, or we're better than that, that kind of thing. We gotta honestly ask ourselves, we gotta ask ourselves that as priests, right? Oh, we're young priests, we're so much more relevant, we're so much better, blah, blah, blah. We're consumers, right? We're consuming the priesthood. Christ desires to consume our hearts, and he does that through the Eucharist, and that's the key to everything right there. Amen. Final thought? Amen. We're done. Do you have any uh, shout-outs? Well, part of the reason why we did, we decided to do this book is because whenever I was going through philosophy as a seminarian, I wanted to do as little as possible. So when the time came for me to set my schedule, um, I, got, I tried to get out of a class called Social and Political Philosophy because I was a political science major in college which I was going to use to as much advantage as I possibly could, even though I could not remember anything of what political science was about. Anyway, so I took the, I, I got out. I, I, I asked to, to be released from social and political philosophy. But what happened was I didn't realize that the teacher, Dr. Terry Wright, was actually a really cool dude. Um, and that he would become one of my friends. And that for the next five years, he would give me crap at lunch every single day about how I didn't take his class. So my last year in seminary, I had a free period. I'm like, fine, I'll take your stupid class, do the notes and render the debt faithfully to you um, and give you what you want. So then uh, one of the books that he talked about in this class was, was this book, Being Consumed. So first and foremost, as we do in many of our podcasts, Dr. Terry Wright deserves a round of applause for actually reading this book first, recommending it, and actually giving us notes that we're just going to steal from um, without shame. So Dr. Terry Wright, yeah, give him a round of applause. We invited him to come, and we're really happy that he did not come because uh, he would be correcting all of our mistakes. We didn't even pray at the beginning of this. Let's close with prayer. I'll do that. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Make us worthy, Lord, to serve our fellow men throughout the world who live and die in poverty and hunger. Give them through our hands this day their daily bread, and by our understanding love, grant peace and joy through Christ our Lord. Amen. Good. Catholic stuff, podcast at gmail.com. Cue the music. 